Welcome back, Immortal X Friends. I'm Cody. I'm Riley. And we are back a week later with our weekly podcast. Um, we're still here. Uh, the fall of X did not break us as much as it has broken our mutants. Um, but we're here to talk about a, like a lot of books today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're we're both fun fact we're both we're both teachers when we're not podcasters we're not full-time podcasters yet but that's the dream um but so we both started school and i think it hit us both harder than we anticipated dude we're getting old man we're getting so old um i i'm looking at both of us on the zoom recording right now and i'm like i feel like you you're worried about hair loss i'm worried about wrinkles um, have you seen that? Have you seen that TikTok or like Instagram filter that shows you what you look like as an old man? Mm-hmm. Don't, don't do it. It's, it's a humbling thing. And there's all these like, um, estheticians and like dermatologists coming on. They're like, actually, this is surprisingly accurate. So, I mean, I don't think honestly, I really have a whole lot of worry about that kind of thing. Like, I'm not like scared of wrinkling and getting older in that way. I think it's twofold. One okay. is like i'm worried that i i have a weird head you know that like if i'm gonna go if i'm gonna go bald i'm gonna go bald there's nothing i can do about it right but i'm weird i'm worried like i don't know what the underside of my or like i don't know what my scalp looks like you know what if my head's weird you know what i feel like i'm really excited because i feel like when we're on when we're on year x of this podcast um you're going to be rocking the fool. Charlie Xavier is what it sounds like. And maybe I'll have my weird um, Magneto locks. Um, So that might be kind of a fun dynamic. We'll finally like age up into those roles. Have you ever shaved? Have you ever shaved your head before? I've never shaved my head before. Okay. I think Mm. you should just go for it. Just give it a try. See what. Uh, No, I'm too scared. I'm scared. Uh... The other thing is like, you know, like getting older, doesn't bother me like I was thinking about it and I know that like you know not to get too personal or anything but like you didn't love turning 30 like that was not your favorite thing that was hard and it was during COVID so I think that made it weirder too yeah Um, but yeah I did did not love it I don't think that I'm gonna feel anything you know like I don't I don't really think that's gonna I'm probably not even gonna realize you know it's not gonna like you know whatever it's the like, I'm afraid of like, things are starting to hurt and like, oh my gosh, like my body isn't recovering from, you know, whatever. And like that stuff, you know, my body beginning to fail me or whatever, like that's going to suck. I was joking with a coworker who's around our age the other day. And I was saying like, I need a t-shirt that says always in pain, but never injured. And I feel mm. like that's that sums up what it's like in late twenties and early thirties. There's mm-hmm. so many times as a teacher and as a good teacher, I will like kneel down to be at the student's level. And my like back up from the kneel is always accompanied by like a, yeah. oh, I, and a, a noise that I am involuntarily making that, that I did not used to make in my, in my yeah. youthful days, the grunt you know <laughs> the the grunt when it starts to show up more regularly yeah that's a scary thing that's man. a scary thing um yeah, these knees aren't as as is fresh off the off the assembly line as they used to be you know 
this uh thank you all immortal x friends listeners uh for hearing our audition for our our better help sponsorship and mm-hmm. our uh, and our supplements sponsorship yeah. like you guys like find your market with us um yeah. all jokes aside this is now week three of of fall of x and there's um yeah there's been a lot of books um some of us on this podcast have read all the books that have come out some of us have not um and i think that might become more (laughs) as the pod goes on today and (laughs) i say that not shaming whichever one of us decided to maybe pass on some books Mm. and also not to shame those of us that said in a text message chain who gives a shit about alpha flight and then bought that book today. All right. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. I don't know. But, um, but here we are with a fat stack of books today. All right. So how about this? Let's get started. But we're, before we start talking about individual books, yeah. like I, I asked you before we got started yeah. to put all of today's releases mm-hmm. in order from best reads to least favorite reads yeah. for today and you know this might change as you like go forward and think about these later but right now you read all of today's books what was the most enjoyable read how do you how does this hierarchy go for you so we're um i'll go one step further i'm also going to say last week's reads along with it just because right. we haven't talked about those and i think i can remember but i'm going to read them in i'm going to read them in release order first just so you can't get a gauge on like where right. i am or, or reading order so these are all of the books that were released um for last week fall of x week two which we missed our week on and for this week fall of x week three and those are um immortal x-men number 14 Children of the Vault, number one, Alpha Flight, number one, Dark X-Men, number one, uh, Uncanny Avengers, number one, X-Men Red, number 14. And I forgot to mention a book that I also picked up last week, but I did not pick up the next issue today, mostly just because I forgot. And that was uh, Ghost Rider and Wolverine's uh, Spirit of Vengeance, written by Benjamin Percy. So... um. The order of my favorite to least favorite books. This is a new fun. I think this this should be a new category that we do whenever we have multiple reads in one week. At the top of my list, the top of my favorite reads is X-Men Red number 14. Followed by Immortal X-Men number 14. That was a close call. This might be recency bias of just reading X-Men Red. Okay. Um, followed by, do you have a guess on what I'm going to say next? Mm, um, we haven't talked about this at all yet, but yeah. I'm most curious about uncanny Avengers. I'm going to guess that one. Dark X-Men number one. Okay. Um, Alpha flight number one. Uncanny Avengers and Children of the Vault. And then oh, I, I have not yet finished um Marvel's Voices. 
okay. uh, which is an anthology series written by several uh, LGBTQ plus writers. Um, so far, it's been really cool. Um, it opens with a really cool intro by uh, Vita Ayala, who I'm mm-hmm. kind of I'm kind of missing their voice during this era of sure. X. Yeah, um, but. I think you're, you're going to crack up why I liked some of these better than others. But, um, but Riley, which of these books have you read? Not many. Yeah. Um, I have read uh, Immortal X-Men and X-Men Red. Did you, um, not, did you not read Uncanny? Have you not checked that I out yet? I have not read Uncanny okay. yet, no. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. read that one digitally. Right now, yeah. the only physical books that I want to have in terms of like, you know, having all of these mm-hmm. collected are um i'm doing duggan's x-men immortal and red um and then the the last book that i'm actively picking up right now a physical copy is um ultimate invasion nice um yeah so so there's there's been a lot of there's been a lot of x-men content um I just what I've noticed so far, with the exception of like a brief prologue or flashback scenes in each, they're all taking place in this um like X weeks later. Yeah. Which which today got confirmed. I don't know if you caught that in X-Men Red. Yeah. It it is, it is 10 weeks later. Because it weeks. said said this was the 70th day of the uh the Iraq Civil War. Yeah. And um I let's let's talk briefly. Uh, I feel like we have more to say about X-Men Red, but I know we have we had texts about how excited we were about the ending of Immortal. Um, but just quick recap, yep. Immortal, Immortal X-Men 14 picks up moments mm-hmm. after the gala and also 10 weeks after the gala. And we see uh, Charles Xavier on the island rocking a beard and just shutting himself some off. Hair some on hair on his head. And just, he is the sole survivor on Krakoa. Mm-hmm. Um, alone, cast away. Uh, and like full catatonic. Like this dude is just like. <laughs> he has lost everything. I remember the yeah. first solicit was even saying like, uh, the fall of X is here and Xavier fell the f- furthest. And it's true. It's, this is, is a this is a broken shell of a man. And I, I loved it. I, I, I'm not sure. I may have enjoyed it more than you. I think it sounded like I was more amped on this issue than you were overall. Um, I, it, it set up. So Gillen has done such a cool job of making each immortal X-Men someone's monologue book. And it yeah. sets it up like it's going to be Xavier's, but he's catatonic basically. And so we're not really seeing, we're still getting his internal monologue but it's it's almost through Emma trying to reach out to him or right. through just a few memories of what happened, but nothing really in present day until it gets closer to the end where essentially uh, Orcus and Sebastian Shaw are trying to mine Krakoa for resources and Xavier's like psychically projecting beasts to, mm. to scare them off, to like protect the island. Um that's kind of the main story. We also see a lot of uh, Sebastian Shaw and and uh, Riley's favorite sinister, Mother Righteous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, kind of talking about the deal that Shaw made uh, way, way back during Judgment Day um, with her. And then kind of the third story of that is uh, we, we see an ending. We see an ending tease of what's to come during this fall of X. And Riley, what do we see? Um, we get this really cool few pages of hope, destiny, and exodus 
waking up in the desert somewhere somewhere um, and what's notable about it is that you know one xavier and emma and you know whoever else are not able to locate any mutants on earth right um and what may be really notable when we kind of get the full scope of what's happening here um is these mutants along with the the other 250,000 Krakoan mutants um are in a place that's that's described as nowhere no when right and with all the talk about Krakoa's no places and stuff like that it's you know, it seems less that they're just trying to keep it a secret where they are, then that's actually kind of a clue as to where yeah. they are, you know, laid out for us in a way that we don't yet understand. Um, but we get a, a few really cool pages where Exodus kind of gets to shine in his, you know, religious lead, you know, um, his um, his prophecy you know, stances and all of that stuff. It's, it's really quite cool. Um, I did just reread this issue a little while ago because um, I knew we'd be talking about it. And I really do like these last few pages a lot. I think um, it's very cool that you have, um, you know, the last page of this issue is a translation from the book of Exodus. And this is not the first time that we've gotten one of these. No, it's not. This is probably the clearest um comparison to you know what you would probably find in the actual book of exodus it's very like i will lead my people out of the desert like it's very very close you know to um to actual like written scriptures you know and that's very very cool um so i'm i upon rereading all of immortal x-men this last week and a half i have really fallen in love with exodus as a character so this was a very cool few pages um i'm loving all this religious allegory that they're throwing in and yeah. he's kind of always been there um but getting to see him lead his people through the desert is very cool i'm, I'm really loving so, it so so riley you reread all of x-men red and and immortal this past week right I did. So you're going to be very fresh on some of these things, but how many times about how many times do you think we saw excerpts from Exodus? Was it just his, it was, was it hopes issue, the Exodus judgment day tie-in issue? And then this one, I want to say that this is okay. like the third, the third, maybe fourth, if I'm missing one. Um, but yeah, I think this is probably about the third time. So maybe we'll post some of the screenshots up from this, but Riley and I have been texting back and forth, especially as he's been rereading. And uh, the week before when I was rereading some of the, the Duggan stuff that I missed leading up to the, the Hellfire Gala, like the seeds have been planted for a long time, um, a for, long time for this. And I think especially with the reveal of the wandering through the desert and the Exodus translation it mm. it does make me wonder where this end game for Gillen has been for Immortal X Men this entire time, um, yeah. and I know we've we've been on on the record on this talking about like what was what was Hickman's game plan, what was his master plan. We'll never know. We'll never know what that five act structure was, um, what that was going to be. But it definitely makes it seem like everything from immortal taking over to what happened in judgment day to what's going on in x-men red to the fall between duggan gillen and ewing like 
it seems like there was a pretty clear plan for at least the past two years to put our mutants in this place. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I'm fascinated, like something else that we can talk about maybe later. So we don't get too sidetracked is that, you know, there have been some interviews lately. There have been some, you know, public, you know, just behind the scenes, Marvel things happenings that are kind of leading us to think that we're kind of getting close to the end of this whole Krakoan experiment. Um, and as we get there, you know, I, I'm, dreading the end like i'm loving these books so much i'm loving this whole era so much that i'm i'm you know i don't want it to end you know i will go down fighting but i will be very interested later down the road when they're able to just unabashedly talk about everything everything like the x office is such a cool concept of how to address something like this in a way that i don't think has ever really been done before you know like sure you had eras of like all these crazy crossovers and you know like say um just for example like you have to think during the early 2000s when bendis is writing new avengers but there's also mighty avengers happening and dark avengers and uh, you know all the yeah. other writers kind of but that's like also just of... all him like right? right like that's all bendis doing all of those pockets right. and obviously people and have so to react to that but yeah you have a few writers out there that just kind of have to be you know aware in their peripheral vision that this is what bendis is doing and i should kind of line up my stuff with that right but as far as I'm aware, you've never had a group of writers this connected with one single idea, right? And so, you know, you and I being such huge fans of this long-term, long-form storytelling, it really is kind of crazy to see an issue of something lay the foundation for something that happens a, a year later in real time. Yeah, so very clearly, you know, it it doesn't feel like, um, you know, what we're referring to is, I believe, in the beginning of X-Men Red issue number seven, which came out in October of 2022, I believe it like straight up laid out exactly what was going to happen in the Hellfire Gala that was coming out like a full 10 months later, yeah. you know, and so it, it's just one of those things where like, it feels like these three writers and I'm, I'm sure the others of the X office, they are just like, they really had this in their pocket. Like they knew exactly what they wanted to do and they had been communicating about all of it. And it wasn't just a, like, I have a vague idea of no. what I want to do 10 months from now, you know? And so it's like, I would love to just, I would love to listen to an interview with the three of them just like, oh yeah, like we, we came up with these ideas and we bounced them off of each other and we sat in a, in a living room and just, you know, whatever. Um, because I'm just really, really impressed by this stuff, man. I'm, you know? I'm, I'm really impressed. And I feel like seeing the pieces fall into place and just seeing this whole fall of X um, era, essentially as, as if this is the last, if this is the last battle cry of Krakoa and of what was started with our very beloved house and powers. And for whatever reason, there is a going to be a reshuffling of the deck, a new status quo. Like this is what happened, but we're going to put the mutants in a different place. Like, 
to see the team with their backs up against the wall like never before um is is very cool and mutants have had it really rough usually right at the beginning of a new era um obviously after scarlet witch muttered no more mutants we enter into one of my favorite eras and i know one that i think got you loving the x-men reading it as well where we have utopia and we have cyclops rising as a leader and just mutants hated and feared and hunted while they're on the brink of extinction and then all of that leading up to avengers versus x-men but this is this is a real low um this is this is an assassination attempt on all of the leads on all levels um in a way that feels feels really bold and really breathtaking and i think reading these issues today and this bulk of issues I think one of the reasons why some of them were surprisingly like listed as high as they were. Uh, and once I talked about them a little bit more, like you got to see kind of this dark future that these mutants had. So we'll talk about this one a little more. So I'll save it, but obviously in X-Men red, we are seeing the dire state of like what Araco looks like. Um, and there's a few pages in particular with um, Sunspot reacting to the death of his friends and his best friends that that's really heartbreaking and I think shows the consequences of what happened at the gala really well, but to kind of just run through briefly dark X-Men was surprisingly sick um, because it had basically mutant survivors trying to do the right thing and saving people from Orcus hit squads um, mm-hmm. and, and really similar to what shadow cat was trying to do and just not winning. Um, this one's obviously Dark X-Men has a bit more of like a Madeline Pryor, Hell on Earth, uh, Limbo Bent, her and Havoc are attempting to lead kind of a dark team and some others yeah. are getting kind of swept up in it. But Riley, they bring back the girl from um, Children of the Atom. Mm. Uh she is now on the run and she goes to visit one of her human friends that was pretending to be a mutant. And that girl's dad rats her out to Orcus. And so the X-Men are coming to save her. And that felt like once we're talking about like this big picture thing that felt like a really cool connective tissue in the data page. And that was all the children of the Adam friends, like text messaging to try to save their mutant friends. Um, That was cool. That was that was really that neat to cool. see. I didn't think I needed that, but I was I was very happy with that. There was a few. I think what's cool again in reading this is like death seems semi possible again. Yeah. So it when does. You, you so when you see a character go down and <clears throat> within this first issue, he's on the front. He's right behind his lady. Havoc gets um gets knifed through the throat and is bleeding out. And I'm like, that might be it for Havoc for a while. So I think it's kind of that fun season where as soon as someone goes down, like they could be out. They could be out yeah. of the storytelling lineup for a while. And that feels cool. Alpha Flight, another one that I was not expecting. Um, I I thought this book was so bold at first because this team of Alpha Flight heroes, they are um they're hunting they're hunting mutants for the canadian government and it is a very jingoistic propaganda laden team that seems like very hate filled and then some of the mutant alpha flight members like aurora and northstar and uh, dakin are fighting against them only to reveal spoiler alert that they're actually working with each other to try to like 
underground railroad mutants out of Canada. Another, it was another surprise that was just kind of cool to see a facet of, of what else is going on in the world. Yeah. Um, Uncanny Avengers. It was still really good. I think just compared to Duggan's work last week, this one, this one just felt like a lot of setup and it Mm. didn't necessarily fill in as many gaps as I was hoping to, but Riley, it does have a page from gods at the end of the book, like a page that we haven't seen yet. So that was also a nice surprise. Um, And then children of the vault. I think one of the reasons why that was so low for me is like, it just didn't feel as connected to everything that I just mentioned. Um, Instead, it kind of felt like its own other threat, which I'm curious if there is going to be a bit of like a plot twist, like they're still in this bubble and they're not actually out or cable. And, but it's just, these ones felt very similar to me to that X-Men 25 feel that end of the hellfire gala feel of, of they're, they're being haunted. They're being hated and feared and seeing creative ways of how similar to the beginning, right after house and powers of like that first batch of writers saying, how are, how is magic being treated? How is the black ops team being treated? So I think that's why I really like this batch. I think it felt like such a cool callback to yeah. the post house era, the Dawn era of X. And um, yeah, I was down. I was down on all these books in a way that I, I don't regret reading them. I'm excited to see where they go and especially yeah. to see where they all tie in. So I guess that's, that's my, that's my capsule reviews. <laughs> Any follow-up cool. questions? <laughs> No, I mean, I'm just, um, I'm happy that these books are addressing really cool aspects that they can kind of focus on after the events of the gala. Um, The Underground Railroad is a very interesting idea um, that fits really well for, you know, we're talking about uh, an oppressed people at their absolute lowest. And so that's a very cool concept and one that I would not have guessed would have been a focus of a book like alpha flight like yeah and i think that's where all of those had a surprising element today that i think felt very very zag of what i thought any of those books would have been like i've i've been reading comics for a while i know a lot of tie-ins or or minis that come out during these events are usually kind of kind of bullshit sometimes um, mm-hmm. And so reading all of these and feeling like even if they're not essential, it was cool to see the fall of X landscape being played with in different ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So X-Men. You want to talk about Red? red? Let's do it. <laughs> X-Men um, Red. So the last time that we talked about Red, I don't even know if this was on pod. This may have been. I don't think it was. But Riley... You felt betrayed. You felt betrayed by the story. You felt like you got to see some of our characters make some decisions that seemed out of sync um, with the return of of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Do you feel well, like some of those those poor decisions were um, were covered today? <laughs> okay, so here's my thing. Yeah, Here, let's go for it. Here's my thing. Um, upon rereading X-Men Red, all of it, right? Each one of the 
members of the great ring are very cool characters right they're very interesting in their concepts in their design and their powers all of this stuff right each one of them is just like really sick to be around okay um and you go back to planet size x-men and one of the huge moments in that issue is you have sogunar of the depths using his own blood to like we said so psycho right now. I I, I had a thought when I was reading this. I'm like, we're gonna have to t- we're gonna have to explain the characters of X Men Red on this podcast to each other. Yeah. And and I'm just and I was at the moment I'm like Riley is such a such an Araco nerd, and I love it, dude. Okay, so here's the thing, dude. So uh, just the concept of X Men Red is a very exciting one, right? That you have this very strange planet right we're used to we're used to mutants okay we're used to earth mutants and you know evolution and um you know homo superior and all this stuff okay and so to have this whole brand new aspect of like these are our weird cousins who happen to be really bloodthirsty because they've only known battle for like millennia and stuff sick i'm in i'm into it right um And what is also cool is that in a way, a lot of the Iraqi are more, I don't know if more dangerous is the, is the right word, but some of them seem to be a little bit more like, you know, there's a difference between a character like Sobunar, who's, whose literal blood is an ocean and some of our Krakoan mutants, right? Yeah, the Iraqi, um, the Iraqi mutants are much more like, yeah, your power is just like you are a, a hammer of, right. of power. All of them, it's like all of their powers are just, just so dangerous. Huge and grandiose and like just really inventive in a way that like maybe you couldn't for uh, an earthbound mutant for the sake of being super mega OP, you know, yes. or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, so the whole concept being that they are so used to this way of life, right? That they're hardened and they take insult at the concept of help and assistance, right? Um, That like, oh, I will die in glory and I've been challenged. And so I must, or I live full of shame and all this stuff. And so like the entire arc of the first 10 issues being that, these mutants learn the concept of mercy and help and assistance and and those kinds of things when you have characters like Magneto and Storm working together to defeat an enemy and show them a better way yeah. or show them a new way, right? And so you have moments in which, you know, Zylo, the, the history character who has seen everything from the beginning of time or whatever, says like, you know, a, a, something unheard of on Araco, something that we could learn, you know, and, and those kinds of things. Right. And as they, you know, as they push back against Iska and all of the things that's happening with her, you know, I could kill you all, you know, at a, on a whim, but I choose, you know, to let you live and I choose to abstain and, and whatever, because I would always win right um all of these characters embracing this new concept that storm has given them yeah right it's it the payoff is so great right it's it's so awesome and like to see them take their old ideas and merge them with the new 
right? That maybe we don't take insult. Maybe we reframe the way that we thought, right? That if I lend my power to you, it's not your weak. It's that our powers stack on top of We're each stronger other. Stronger together. Yeah. Power upon power, you know, that kind of idea. I think that's literally said in one issue, right? And so, you know, I know the Annihilation staff has come back and is kind of whispering to people and those evil sweet nothings are kind of twisting people around. But, you know, it's one of those, like, you have a character like Sobunar saying, you know, Iraqi, do not fear a life that ends, but also embracing the teachings of Magneto and Storm, you know, to have him kind of get twisted around by the Annihilation staff. It just it doesn't feel good, you know, and it's not supposed to, but yeah. it doesn't feel very good considering the journey and the arc that these characters have been on through the first 10, 12 issues. Something that you were talking about made me think of Al Ewing's book before the sword and that book really doubles down on the idea of a mutant circuit and mm-hmm. how the X-Men idea before red really does establish the idea that mutants working together can literally do things that have only been accomplished by people harnessing the power of the Phoenix, using the infinity gauntlet, killing a beyonder and that mutants literally holding hands and <laughs> using their abilities together. were able to accomplish the same thing. And mm-hmm. so seeing that and thinking about that, as you said, that like setting up the foundation and now leading to this, this war where Storm's Brotherhood of Mutants literally serves as this merciful idea, but also this we are stronger together. And Genesis and Hurraki under the influence of the Annihilation Helm that has solely only understood singular power through like corruption of individuals. It really is the ultimate battle of ideologies that X-Men has always had at its core, but on a galactic like galaxy brain plane, which is I think why what this has become it's it's not a ten of swords Mortal Kombat. It's not this this other world ancient tale as old as time. Instead, it's almost like a metaphorical think piece that we're seeing very little snippets of this war. Actually, mm-hmm. um, it's it it's not its own event. It's it's going to be a few issues, and then I think it's going to transition into something else. But I think that it's serving as kind of a really cool reminder of of what the heart of this book has always been and so i think that's why this and this issue really felt like it it proved that once again where it's like we're we're going to war i think there's that panel right after um roberto tells storm what happened at the gala she's like yeah we're going to war this is obviously a planned setup but like we're going to war in our own way and um right yeah, I'm 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 really impressed. I know we we're, we always sound impressed when we're we're done with an X-Men Red Week. Um there are also some really heavy hints of of where is Apocalypse? Where are the Horsemen? What is going on? Um Riley, do you have any speculation on this? I know we've talked about it a little bit. I do actually, uh, as to like where the horsemen are, I'm not sure. I don't have any, any theories on that. And admittedly, um, in my reread of X-Men red, 
Uh, I have not yet reread the um, Before the Fall one shot, and I I don't remember if the horsemen are involved in that issue or not. But it, the the horsemen themselves, where they are and what they're doing right now, I'm fuzzy on. And it yeah. occurs to me now that like I might not have completed my X Men Red reread because I think I stopped right before the stuff with White Sword began happening. So oh, okay. I think that's that's why I'm a little fuzzy on the horsemen themselves. Um, now, as to Apocalypse, um, you know, we had the theory several weeks ago and, um, you know, we were texting about Immortal X-Men um, and where is Exodus going? Right. Where is he going to lead all of these mutants? And, you know, the the theory was he's going to lead them to Apocalypse. Yeah. The same way that he, um, you know, in his. um in his issue of Immortal X-Men, issue five, I think it is, um, he has his journey that leads him to Apocalypse. Apocalypse at that time being who he called like the false, mm-hmm. you know, the false prophet or whatever. And um, I thought him, you know, whatever, but he ended up being a serpent, that kind of like ideology. Um, but now that Exodus is kind of stepping into his own and kind of really cementing his feet in this in this idea that he has um you know i think i think it is possible that exodus is leading all of these mutants to apocalypse um now i have no i don't think that there are any hints to like support this theory it's just something that kind of popped into my head as i was reading this issue i think there's two hints of support for for the apocalypse here i think one is like and you know, as a comics pop culture podcast, we can talk about it. The solicit, I think for Immortal X-Men 16? 16. Has Apocalypse on the cover with looking like a pharaoh with a with the the beard stash and kind of a fire behind him that looks like a phoenix. We I think yeah. we even reposted that on the gram because we were so stoked on it. So I think mm-hmm. one, that's in two issues. Um usually Without fail, actually, um, the cover character for Immortal has been the narrator of that book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that would be a great that would be a great place at the end of next month, at the end of 15 to get closer and then 16 to truly reveal. And Heralds of Apocalypse does end with Apocalypse and an Amenthian and Amenth demon basically sitting and Apocalypse saying like, I'm basically I'm waiting like I'm waiting for the right moment and so I feel like those two things combined could really be pointing towards exactly what we're talking about and essentially exodus and hope and destiny and apocalypse like writing back in either to stop the genesis war um, or provide aid for whatever the next stage of salt is during this fall of x era my um my like crazy out of left field theory and this is this is what i meant when i was saying like there's i don't there's no evidence to support this particular thing it's just the, the wild out of left field idea that popped into my brain is um you know as i was reading through these two books in the last few weeks uh it surprised me how many references there were to genosha um and the um the genocide that happened there and that's really present in dark x-men also 
Dark X-Men also has some Genosha stuff. If like Apocalypse pulls some crazy magic, whatever, and resurrects all of the mutants of Genosha, combine those with the 250,000, and then you have this just absolute sea of resurrected mutants that Apocalypse has as his like army you know now i you know again i don't think that there have been really any seeds that have told us that we're going in that direction it was just kind of like you know they did make reference a lot to this in the last you know 10 issues of each one of these books and notably right before we switch to exodus and hope and destiny in the desert in that immortal x-men issue the last two words that are repeated several times again from house four are the words no more three times. Right. And so it's just kind of, you know, it it feels like there are a lot of callbacks to, you know, remembering the last time that there was a mutant genocide, massive genocide on this kind of scale. Um, And so it's just, I wonder if they're reminding us of that on purpose. Or if that's just kind of where I'm going, you know? Yeah, I I really like that idea. I think that's a really fun theory. I think that would be a very, um, very positive spin on what has happened and kind of provide that that spark for mutantum to keep going. Uh, So, yeah, I like that theory. I think also important to note in this theory is that on issue seventeen. That's the other one that was with Jean Grey. Mm-hmm. Jean yes, Grey is so. on the cover, and and Jean Grey is also someone who is very, very dead at the moment, and also a character who has very famously come back from the dead many, many times. Um, and so I just think it's very cool seeing both of those characters in a book called Immortal X Men, and we're seeing two of the most immortal of the mutants on the covers. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what that looks like for the future of Krakoa. I'm not sure what it looks like, but I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for what's going on in X-Men red and immortal. And I feel like this is the cloak. They've, they've always been dancing with each other. And I know we've talked yeah. about that before where um, we'll have the storm issue of immortal X-Men and it's, it's storms centered book as she's telling the council to, to, F off, and then the next issue of X Men Red, we get to see her tell Charles Xavier to F off again. And it's like just seeing those moments work together um, has been so cool, and seeing them still in sync. Um, it's always tough when, and you and I have talked about this before, where there's certain runs of books, and Ewing's other book, Sword felt like a victim of this where they have to be involved in the other events and Ewing's guardians run too, where it's like, you're following such a great story and a through line that an event kind of like pushes it out of the way for the moment. Right. But to see both immortal and red just kind of embrace the chaos of fall of X and let their stories pivot with it. I just think it's real. And I know we've been, I've seen some mixed reaction just on this whole era, but seeing just how I think both you and I are pretty high on it um, for, I think everyone committing, committing to the bit and going. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think 
you know, I, I have read my share of tie-ins, you yeah. know, and enjoyed many and have kind of like rolled my eyes at some that were just utterly unnecessary, um, depending on what event it was, but yeah, to, to not only have tie-in issues that are, you know, that really push things forward in a meaningful way, but are also just like a really wonderfully done standalone issue. Yeah. Like, I think that's, that's super special. It's super unique. You know, um, they are by far the best, like, um, side issues of anything that I've probably ever read. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, I'm not... oh, hands down. I, I, I completely agree. Yeah. It's, um, those books are very, very special. And so to have them lean into the event and have it be still a really character driven book, again, going back to X immortal X-Men issue five, how, you know, you have in the middle of judgment day, you are still able to do a, an issue revolving around Exodus that makes you give a shit about this character, even though he had kind of been one of those like in obscurity kind of dudes forever. Yeah. Um, it was really great. You know, I really love those issues and the way that they fit. It's awesome. Um, I think that might be a good place for us to kind of just wrap up this, this week three, week two breakdown. Um, yeah. I, we're still very clearly at the beginning of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there, there's still, we haven't even gotten through all of the issue ones or any of the other ongoings. Uh, they have not had their first issue in this. Um, there are five issues in total uh, for a lot of these minis. And mm-hmm. that definitely makes me think that we're going to be in it through September, October, November, December. I don't think we're going to be out of the fall until probably January or February. Yeah. Um, which that's, that's a I'll good be time. interested in seeing sense. if like pretty soon we get a hint. I mean, I think that they're going to, they're going to push this as far as they can go because they don't yeah. want the fall of X to be dwarfed by the, the news of what's next. Um, but I, I would be curious if we started to hear whispers of like what comes January and beyond. Cause I like, I, so I think, you know, in my nightmares, Krakoa is almost over, but I still think that we probably have another year, you know, I um, think it's going to look a lot different. I think it has to look a lot different unless we do any form of like lifeline reset, but I don't think we are. I think what's really cool, especially now is like looking back at sins of sinister, like it even took the lifeline option off the table. Like the, the lifelines are off the table. The five are off the table. Like the reboots are done. Like we're we're kind of stuck in this this pit together right yeah. now, which feels good. Yeah, and I mean, I still, you know, like you said earlier, I we will never know what you know Hickman's version of all of this will be, but I still wonder pretty frequently if you know this feels like the end, like the the final act, but we still have the machine war kind of at the end of this whole thing that like. You know, this is a big moment, but we still have a huge chunk of something left. You know, um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe that's not a direction they've decided to go. But it feels like with so much emphasis in the beginning, especially on machines 
and, you know, Omega Sentinel and Nimrod and all of that stuff and futures and, you know, all of those things that, you know, we still have a machine war as our kind of end game to this whole era. So I'm hoping this, so, at least. This is such speculative nonsense. And this is solely just going off of what he did in our Avengers run. But this fall of X era and the X weeks later really does feel like if this was Hickman's pitch packet, this would be the time runs out era, like a real similar setup, a real similar status quo of, of breaking things and, and staggering the team to then come back. Um, Hickman also loves Morrison's era. And I think Morrison's X-Men run famously ended on the, uh, the far future where mm-hmm. it was the weird um, sublime versus Wolverine and like the X-Men and like a hundred years, 200 years in the future. Right. And I just, I wouldn't be surprised if like in that original pitch document, this was the time runs out section. If, if he wanted to go a fall of X direction mm-hmm. with all of this and then what you're describing and that far future would have been the secret wars equivalent. And it would have basically been him redoing days of future past. Like that's just in the same way that he gave the other one secret wars. So just, 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 that's just, that is neither here nor there, but I guess that's my like, Oh yeah. Like you might be onto something of, of if this was part of that plan. Yeah. A couple of other little, little tidbits before we wrap up. Um, I'm still looking at this X-Men red issue and a few more things that I really liked about it. Um, One is that, you know, your opening two page spread is kind of like a, it's almost like a Genesis, like not the woman Genesis, like the book of the the Bible of Genesis. Like it's almost like in the beginning, that kind of situation, you know, the, the first act of the war was one of creation, you know, and it feels very symbolic in that way. Um, I'm really, really chewing on the religious allegory right now and loving it so much because then so you you have a whole bunch of stuff, and you, you know, I'll skip over whatever. Um, but the last line of these pages is the staff in her hand whispered that it was good, you know, and it's a like very twisted, like, you know, a twisted version of like, and God's looked at his creation and he saw that it was good, that kind of thing. You know, I really enjoy the fact that these writers are taking this kind of stuff and they're twisting it and putting it in, you know, in this form. It's very cool. Um, The other thing uh, that I think will become notable, um, well, two things, two other things. Um, One is, uh, Lotus Logos is able to speak not in haiku, which is interesting. Uh, You know, my take on this is that, you know, he is beginning to embrace a life that's different from the one that he's always known and is kind of, you know, not losing something, but rather gaining the ability to do something new. You know, Mm -hmm. that's kind of my take on this whole thing. But I thought that that was notable. I think that that will come back around and be something important later. The last thing um, before you want to, you know, comment on whatever your stuff is, is that um, Roberto is obviously doing stuff on Earth. Earth. 
Yeah. Like he's, he's totally got things going on. He's got stuff up his sleeve. Like he, you know, he says something very, very secret. Don't ask like that is going to be important considering that this homie ended up on the, as being one of the night seats, you know, like that is going to come back into play in a major way, I think. Um, But the other thing was that, you know, he makes it clear that he was planning on going to the gala, but ended up, you know, wanting to go late because he wanted to watch first, you know, like, almost that he knew something was coming something was going to happen so i don't know i think two little two little things there that are going to end up coming into play later which are very fun i love when ewing is setting seeds for us that we'll read again and issue 18 and be like of course he was leading us here crazy i know um i think i i really loved when uh hoback is the name of the porcupine guy who said to uh logos that where well, you're not speaking in haiku and ewing does a very cool thing he did this in guardians a few times too where you just have a very close-up medium shot panel done the same way but capturing uh the the subtleties of an emotion of someone figuring out what's going on uh and loved our fisher king moments at the end of the book um pod favorite the fisher king showing up ready to uh ready to be the new living incarnate of possibly the new history of Arako. yeah what does it mean to you know no uh sorry um yeah what does it mean to fight with nothing you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like i'm really curious to get a little bit more of exactly what his non-power power is you Me know too. yeah i'm um, stoked yeah it's great this is a fun week um i'm excited for what's next uh next week a few books that come out in the fall of x i don't know if we'll do a full fall of x week next week we might do something a little different um but we have Jean gray mm-hmm. realm of x X-Force and Miss Marvel New Mutant number one. Oh, sorry. Next week is just Jean Grey, Realm of X, and X-Force. So we'll see. Um, I'm not sure what we'll talk about next week, but we'll we'll probably check in. So yeah. Uh Riley, thanks for potting today. Some good stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. check us out. Check us out on our socials. Um, Immortal X Friends uh on Instagram. And then yeah, drop us, drop us a line, read along with us, let us know what you think. Uh, please, please, please like, please subscribe, please rate, leave a comment. Um, tell us how the sound quality is going. We've been recording these last few over zoom just for the inability to get together in person, but I know we can't wait to, to see each other and Riley can't wait to see my new Omni that I got. Um, and, and we will be back. We will be back soon. Uh, shout out as always, um, to Gage Cornwell, who did our intro and closing music and uh read comics read comics we'll be back soon bye